Joel. Welcome to the Invisible Path. Patrick, where are we? I can't see it. It's invisible. <laughs> I have no idea where we are. Okay, so this is great because this is literally the first question, which is, so I'm super excited. I'm going to jump right in. Okay, so Adam writes, I've been listening to you two, you two blokes, since you launched the Invisible Path. Can you lay out your desires for the Invisible Path? In other words, where is the Invisible Path headed? (laughs) (laughs) I will turn that right over to you. Oh, oh, dear listeners, you weren't, I hope you weren't actually expecting some kind of concrete answer, were you? Um, you know, it's, it's, uh, it's, in, maybe it's invisible to us as well. I think we're kind of groping through this. I, that seems to be, um, that seems to be like the nature of what's happening right now in a lot of ways. And so I think why why we both have this interest and desire to to cover these you know somewhat spread out and, and disparate topics that, that all kind of hone in on on understanding what is happening and how you can maybe make your way through these crazy times as best as possible I, I think we're I think we're trying to do this for our own benefit uh, just as much as anyone else's mm-hmm. uh, and plus really it's just fun as hell to talk with you Patrick uh, it, it's <laughs> It's an interesting thing. You do need to, everyone needs to sort of find the others in, um, especially in these times, but just in your life in general. And there's, there's so much, uh, there's so much like polarity and tendency towards that. And some of that feels pretty intentional. And so it is, it's an, it's important to try to break through that and try to not pick sides, but figure out how you're going to get through. Don't, don't stand on one side or the other side, figure out how you're going to move through this and make life fun and awesome. Uh, instead of just sort of letting it happen to you and let the culture grind you up in whatever way it feels like doing that uh, in, at the yeah. present moment. What an interesting, make life fun, right? That statement. Cause that's a thing that I don't think a lot of people are spending a lot of energy or putting a lot of focus or attention on. It's like, how do we, how do we make this thing that we're doing the most enjoyable it can possibly be, which what a silly thing that we don't put focus. Like why, why would we wake up every day with the initial thought being, how am I going to make today the most amount of fun it can possibly be for me? And, you know, you probably because, probably because people think that there's a difference between fun and responsibility. And I think we covered that a little bit on the last episode that really responsibility in a lot of ways is, has a lot to do with reality creation. And that's, that's fun. (laughs) Yeah. Right. For sure. Yeah. So, and, and I, I think exactly what you said, that, that sentiment of why we do this, I think is, it, this is, this is enjoyable for me. I hope it's enjoyable for you. Um, I think that the, the, I, the concept of the invisible path to me was Joel's idea, number one, but, uh, the concept really fits into place in that, okay, we're gonna, our goal, I think is to illuminate some some ideas that you may not have come across 
Um, and that hopefully one of those ideas will like slide into your world and, and shift things so that things are a little bit better. Um, so that you have a little bit, a little bit of expanded awareness around some weird thing that Joel and I might have come across. And all of them probably won't fit or make sense into your world. But if one little sliver fits in and it makes your life 1% better, shoot, that's pretty worth it for free. That's, that's exactly, that's exactly it. That you need to find those nuggets uh, and you need to follow your intuition, follow your interests. Maybe you need to challenge yourself uh, a little bit here and there where you sense that you're being lazy and you just need to overcome something to, to get to that next level of, of fun, I guess. Uh, but yeah, some of this, it's just ideas. Some of it, action may be required uh, for, to, really, uh, to really get the lesson. So like a very interesting thing that I've been noticing lately, I, I shouldn't even do it. Like it's, it's a big mistake for me to even read any kind of news, but I've been enjoying reading <laughs> headlines and then articles lately. And what I love, what I love is that so many articles these days will say, experts say, or experts warn that, experts say this. It's like, and then they never cite anything. And they, they may not even mention who these experts are. Yeah. And so if you're to look at that, and if you're to say, okay, well, experts say X, why don't I see if I can find another expert that contradicts that completely? And you yeah. may have to use, you may not be able to find that even using Google. You may have to use a search engine like DuckDuckGo to do that. But if you actually do that, even if it makes you uncomfortable, because you're like, well, this is not the direction I intend to lean towards, that's a fascinating thing. You might find that there are experts on the other side that say something else. For sure. Um, it's... Uh, one more one more rant on that have you ever been it's like this is for you patrick this is for everyone have you ever read an article about something that you know a lot about that you're an expert in you read that article and you say my god this is garbage this person doesn't know anything this journalist got it completely wrong right this happens almost almost every time you read something where you really feel like you you have some inside knowledge about that topic. Yeah. And then you go ahead and you read another article that's about something you really don't know much about. And you just assume that it's correct. You're like, well, yeah, that's, that's what I read. It must be correct. It's like, well, ha- there's like a real cognitive dissonance there. If you, if you stop to think about that for a moment, like, okay, this one thing that I know about this, this article is garbage, but then I read the next article, maybe written by the same person. And I'll just say, well, that's probably right. They got so this just, one, right? <laughs> just take a second, just take a second to like internalize that. Let that wash through your guts and across your brain. And just, uh, just gives me the willies. Like it's, uh, I don't know. I just feel like there's so much agenda. Everything has been, everything has an agenda now, it seems like. And so I think part of, part of the, a big part of the invisible path is, not, not going down uh, any of the paths uh, unwillingly that that are laid out for you. That they would like you to just go down with the rest of the lemmings or the sheep or whatever animal you'd like to. Yeah, you'd like to use here for this device. Uh, so, so yeah, there's there's my rant about that. I I think there's an there's an additional layer on top of that which is interesting, which is. Oftentimes, if you read a headline, 
And then you read the actual article, the headline and the article are saying two different, completely different things. The headline is like, hey, bats are dangerous to the world. And then the article is like, hey, there's, there was one bat who got sick one time. And uh, like, it, it's, it's just very, it's very interesting because there's this tendency that we have with the amount of um, data that's being presented to us there's a very there's a very interesting tendency and it's it's a topic that we kind of talked about which is you read a headline you get the dopamine response that you might like a, a, a facsimile of the dope, a dopamine response that you would get from reading the the article just from reading the headline and reading the headline takes 3 seconds reading the article may take 3 minutes so um oftentimes i'll find myself just kind of headline browsing right and 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 then you see people where i've done it myself for sure where you like feel like you've internalized information because you read a headline um there's no depth of the information at all because you didn't even take the time to to internalize the information that is in the thing that you are presenting as if you have knowledge of it um and that doesn't even get to the point on whether the information in the article was correct right you you've taken a headline that may completely misrepresent geez louise the uh, information within the article that may misrepresent the information in reality and um yeah it takes a lot it takes a lot to to dive into to these topics um so yeah there's you got to do your work these days. You really do need to do your work, and hopefully, um, hopefully, some of the work we've done will will put some share some light on something that may spark your inspiration to do some work into something else or go deeper into a topic that we might have touched on. So let me take you to. Uh, I'll just do this one. So this this question like ties right into that. This is this is it's pretty interesting. It's almost like we set these things up and we didn't set any. <laughs> Patrick, I don't even think you revealed the topic of the episode. The topic or the was, theme. The theme. Yeah. So, right? so what is the theme this week? Well, someone contacted you and uh, thought it would be awesome if we just did an episode where one of us asked questions to one, you know, the other person, and vice versa. So, but instead of you know just you asking questions to me for an entire episode and then we flip it the other time that seems like that would get a little boring so let's spread it out let's we're going to just ask each other questions i've been yeah. thinking about different questions to ask you for the last two weeks <laughs> and um and so we're just going to go back and forth and ask each other questions and just have more of a free form kind of kind of thing today yeah which is fun i think that um i think it's going to be an interesting time just to have just to have rotating questions. Um, we got two more listener questions, which again, kind of pe peaks right in. So this one is directed to me, it says Andrew, and from Andrew, Patrick, in the last episode on critical thinking, you spoke about the universal truth that exists outside of our individual perspectives. As, as you said, each of us has a perspective that is uniquely ours. How can I have a truth that is independent of the reality that I'm living? So I kind of just did a whole episode on this, so I'm going to be very brief. But essentially, if we were watching, if if we were all watching a car crash happen, right, um, 
I would have a perspective of the car crash. Joel would have a perspective of the car crash and each individual listener would have a perspective of this car crash. And we might all see very different things in the car crash, right? Like uh, depending on our vision of the, if it happened at an intersection, like we maybe had a perspective of who had the green light, who had a red light, et cetera, et cetera. If I think that uh, a car making a left turn was in the right of way, uh, because the car making going straight was um, running a red light and you see it from another perspective where you didn't see the lights at all, but you saw a car make a, a turn in front of a car driving straight. We may have a very different opinion of who's at fault in this car crash, but there is a reality that exists of who is actually at fault, right? Someone made a mistake to cause a car crash and that happened. So no matter what our, our collective or our individual perspective is, there is a collective reality that exists that someone caused a car crash. And whether I, who I think is right and who you think is in the right doesn't really matter because there is a reality of the fact that someone did make the car crash. So my point on this whole concept is if we can, if, if you can get yourself closer to excluding whatever your individual perspective is and get to the point of who actually made the car crash happen, that is the thing that should be rewarded. And that's, that is how you have a truth that exists outside of your perspective of reality. You know, when I think about that, I think about this sort of like very modern tendency to, to look for the blame, to look for the reason why some tragedy happened as an excuse or as a, as like a wall to put up or a defense to say, well, that couldn't happen to me because I'm not that kind of person. Right. Mm -hmm. So it's like, well, this person was, you know, they were drunk or they were distracted on their phone or whatever it is. And that's why the car crash happened. And so therefore I don't have to feel, and I'm not that person. I'm a good person. I'm not a bad person. They're a bad person. So that wouldn't happen to me. So I feel safe and secure and I can judge them and they're terrible. And, and maybe objectively they are or whatever, but um, it's just another layer to this whole perception of what's, what's happening. Mm -hmm. yeah, for sure. And the likelihood is everyone who does anything, no matter how, how terribly you judge it, they, they probably have a way that they could justify it that makes them a good person, right? Like they, people generally do things because they feel like they are in the right for doing those things, not because they feel like they are in the wrong for doing those things. So yeah, that I think that, I think that, and again, okay, so this flows into our final question, which comes in from Darby. It is for you, Joel. In the last episode, you two are talking about the dangers and risks of separate realities and what that looks like in the future. Joel, you said, I think it will go away. I'm curious to, to know or see how you, how you see that panning out. <clears throat> oh, I don't know. Maybe I, maybe I totally disagree with that now. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it, uh, I don't know. I, you know. I'm trying to remember exactly the context of what we're talking about. I mean, right now you can see the polarity is getting larger and larger and there's this there's this concept of um th this experimental framework called shock induced aggression this is where if you have a rat in a cage and you electrify you electrify the floor of the cage and then you periodically shock the rat well the rat can't do anything about it so it just survives it just does what it does to manage that pain but then you put two rats in a cage 
and this pain that's coming from nowhere. They don't, they don't understand electricity. They don't know why they're getting shocked. Uh, this is still happening, but there's two rats in a cage. So there's this shock and each rat looks at the other rat and is like, this is your fault. Mm. Right. And I, and so clearly right now we're being shocked all the time by headlines and by current events. And you can see that most people aren't, aren't looking for the scientist who's running the experiment. They're, they're just looking at the other rats in the cage. That's what we're all doing. And we're dehumanizing uh, each other and cartoonifying, you know, other people's, other people's positions um, on both sides. And it's a real tragedy. And so you see the polarization building. Um, I don't know. I, I don't know how to predict what's going to happen or how this will play out. I mean, I suppose if you think all that polarization will go away, then, I mean, it will, it will eventually, right? We're in the crisis phase. So things will become more unified. Just if, if you look at the ge- the model of generational cycles, but I, I'm not uh, smart enough to predict any of this or know where any of this is going. I just see what other people have recognized with these historic patterns. Um, now that unification may be, uh, in a set of values that that uh, you aren't aligned with very well, that might suck. That's a real possibility. You can see some countries where there's a great deal of unification, and if you're not in cohesion um, and uh, uniformity, and if if you're in that country and you're not down with that, that sucks for you. So, um, so things becoming uh, you know more unified may be a good thing they may not be a good thing we're going to have to see what it is that is built and what the unification uh and the guiding sort of principles and values are as we come out of this crisis and so it's probably up to each of us as individuals to help uh in our own way to contribute towards making sure that what is built after the crisis is good (laughs) whatever that means right? We're all going to have to muddle through that for ourselves. You may or may not know this. So let me, let me just, I I have no idea. Is there, um, so if we look at, if you look at the polarity of a magnet, is there a, is there a half-life for that polarity? Is it a, is it a constant? What, what happens, what happens to polarity of a magnet over time? I think that I mean I don't I don't know this I don't know the stability of that I, I would think it could be fairly stable over time but I mean I we're not magnets right we're not we're far more plastic we're far more flexible and changeable than than inert matter and people people are getting just fatigued of what's going on they just want to get back to their their normal lives so you can probably only froth people up so much but and keep them polarized. But that being said, I mean, people really enjoy it too. I mean, God, that dopamine hit is, as you say, you know, it's pretty addictive. Um, and, and it, we're tribal. We like to, we like to be on the right side and we like to have, uh, some enemies, some, some bad guys we can point to. Uh, so it's hard to, it's, you know, it's also hard to know when you are really in the midst of something. It's hard to know um, 
if you're really perceiving things correctly or not. I mean, I remember hearing about these firsthand accounts of um, like the, the Germans uh, in World War II coming, you know, coming into these uh, Jewish households and the, the soldiers like invading a country and the, the soldiers would come in, the, the Nazi soldiers, and they would stay. You'd have like a, a soldier stay with you in your house and you're a Jewish family and you'd heard all these rumors and you're like, well, it's okay though. They're nice. The, uh, you know, the soldier bought the, the wife of the house a bouquet of flowers or something. It's okay. Right. Because they didn't really know what was about to happen next. Like, and, and you would think looking back at history, you would cartoonify it and say, well, no, it's the bad guys. And then the victims, and you would know just to run, but we're all, we're all so deeply in whatever this soup is that we're swimming in. It's really hard to objectively, to have an objective perspective, I would say, mm. like, even if you're trying to, you're, you're still, you're still prone, I think, to, to, you know, getting it wrong, picking a side, all of that stuff. So we just have to muddle through the best we can, or maybe just try to unplug from that stuff as much as we can and yeah. work on our own, work on forging our own invisible path. Uh, don't get on one side or the other, go straight through. Yeah. Yeah. Experiential, experiential living is probably, is probably a pretty beneficial thing to your happiness, um, to, to your sanity for sure. Right. The, the like mental, the mental component of experiential living is, um, pretty powerful. Okay. Well, let's flip it into, let's flip it into our questions. Um, I'll turn, I'll, I'll let you kick things off. I I'm, uh, yeah, I'll yeah. let you kick things off. So, so yeah, I'm thinking back to, to like some of your origin story that I know of and like a, as a thought experiment, what do you think your life would be like and who would you be? Had you never, had you stuck with a corporate gig? Had you never struck out? <laughs> And maybe maybe that's like a, a que- an impossible question because that's not within your temperament. But I'd be curious yeah. to hear you just explore that idea. It's it's so it's really interesting. Um, I had a I had a little text exchange with somebody that brought me on um, at the very end of my corporate career, and I was pretty checked out at the end of my corporate career. And um, this was the first time that I had gone and worked actually for a corporation. So when I worked with Adidas, I was my own entity and they hired me and I was like a, a liaison between businesses and Adidas. But I went and worked for another another competitive company at the end and I was checked out. And um, he he was like, he was like, you were the best, you were the best person I ever had at this job. And, um, like knowing where I was in my own mental space where I just did not care. Uh, it's pretty interesting. So I, I had a very successful opportunity. Um, I don't know if I, I don't know if I've talked about any of these things, but, um, after I left that job, I had another very successful opportunity. I walked away from uh, 
about 1.5 million in equity in a um, established business because they brought in um, a CEO who was just dishonest about everything in his life. Spent a half hour. You know, the the day that I the day that I knew that I quit, the day that I decided I quit, we walked into a meeting with um, an advertising agency. And this guy started telling a story about his minor league baseball career that he never had. And um, I knew for a fact he didn't have this. And he talked for a half hour about this thing. And I just sat there and I was like, well, I am not going to do this. I am not going to sit in a meeting and lie to people for a half hour about a thing that's not impressive and that doesn't matter at all. (laughs) Um. So I think like the temperament thing, I was, it was never, it's not in me, but I would be uh, considerably more miserable. Like my bank account would be significantly larger, but I would not enjoy waking up. I mean, I, I, I hated my existence um, and, and I hated my existence in all three of these phases, right? I mean, I hated my existence when I was working with Adidas. I I made a ridiculous amount of money, but I didn't do anything. I had no functionality. I just, what I said is I was essentially a person who passed Excel sheets between two companies. And um, I made some edits on those Excel sheets, but there's not a lot of like inherent value in that to to the being. So I, and I also, I, as, as I got more and more successful in my, in my Adidas life, my health became less and less, uh, viable. So there was an inverse relationship to my bank account and my health. And I was spending a lot of money trying to get healthy, but I I was earning more than I could spend. And, um, yeah, so I, I think that the reality would be, I would be successful. I, that's wrong. I would be financially uh, viable, but uh, the the success of my life would would really not be there. Um, yeah, I, I the things that I the things that I'm most proud of, the things that I that I um, feel the best about in my life, all come from the fact that. Um, I walked away from those things and it's hard to even, I, I can't imagine a p- physical place where I would be. Like I, I'm trying to visualize what my life would look like. I know that it would look like from 6 a.m. till 8 or 9 p.m. I would be sitting at a computer, mostly dealing with problems that felt like emergencies to the people on the other end that felt like uh, needless needless things to myself. <laughs> Does that help at all? Was that, was that <clears> that's amazing. Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> absolutely. <laughs> okay. So the thing that, the thing that I'm really fascinated about um, in your path is how you started so there, this like pull, this pull away that, that is, um, your, your side projects, I guess, right? Like, I want to know where you, what pushed you in to looking at uh, the systems of biology and how you may be able to tweak the, like, where did you get into tweaking biology? 
yeah so so that's it's like oh, it's a bit of a story so it, it started really in when i was a freshman at college we had a i'm not sure if i've mentioned all this on on here before or not but we had a professor a visiting guest professor from uh, florida and he studied alligators in lakes in these polluted lakes in in florida polluted with agricultural runoff and probably some industrial runoff as well uh, and he and his team would pull these alligators his juvenile male alligators onto their boat uh, take a blood sample and measure the penis size and what they found is that all these pollutants were feminizing these alligators and and this was something that was happening way before anyone had heard of BPA and plastics or anything like that. And so I had this awareness um, since the 90s that there were uh, generation over generation profound declines in testosterone. So you can, so basically the take home here is that your grandfather had twice as much testosterone as you do. And this comes down to diet and lifestyle and pollutants in the environment. So that was the first piece of it. The second piece of it was my oldest son uh, having autism and seeing that the experts could not help him at all. They had no good advice. Uh, well, I shouldn't even say experts. I should say like the authorities in charge. They said, look, don't try to do anything. There's nothing you can really do to help him feel more comfortable in his skin or anything like that. So we took him to a specialist, you know, some fancy person that has like, uh, this doctor has like clients from both coasts flying in uh, to see her. So she's, uh, she's very highly regarded. And I learned a lot from her. That was really my first taste of, of biohacking. Mm -hmm. And so then after that, you see the rise of Wim Hof and cold therapy. I, you know, I read these accounts of, of guys taking cold showers seeing a boost in their uh, a boost in their libido and that was great i was taking cold showers but i was like well this isn't quite enough and also sometimes i'm i'm lazy i know the cold shower isn't getting cold enough because i was measuring the water temperature it wasn't mm -hmm. therapeutically cold enough so it's like well let's just put an <laughs> ice pack on our balls and see what happens <laughs> and then and then it was like well this is a terrible solution because I have two different kinds of ice packs. One is hard plastic. The other one is made of PVC, which you just don't want to put on your nuts. Mm -hmm. So let's make something that is a specialized, the world's most advanced specialized cold sack or a cold pack for your nut sack that is made of materials that are essentially food grade, something that you could eat off of. Right. <laughs> so, um, so that was that. And then it was really the same thing with, it was just a logical extension so that was primal cold. That was yeah. the primal cold jetpack, And then it was just a logical extension to do Optimus Red. I mean, I had people asking me, when are you going to make a red light product for guys? Mm -hmm. When are you going to, you know, no one's making a wearable. And so it just made sense. And, uh, and no one was doing it. Frankly, I was surprised. It seemed like such an obvious thing. No one was doing it. Yeah. And, but, but it is interesting. You know, you, you talked before in the last episode, you really broke down determinism and, and I really can see that now. Like you've really opened my eyes to this, Patrick, mm. about how how your experiences really feed into the potential possibilities that you have. And and so what I think is interesting about like how I stumbled onto this these ridiculous products and and focusing here is that it came from these 
completely separate things that I could have never predicted or anticipated or engineered in any way. You know, yeah. some professor talking about alligator penis size. Yeah. And then, you know, then life happens, you know, with my kid trying to help him. And it all just sort of comes together. And so like pulling on those threads of your life experience and seeing what you can, what you can put together is, is that's sort of like the quest, you know, it's part of the hero's journey that we should all be embarking on. Yeah. It, 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 man, when you start thinking, when you start thinking about the historical things that had to happen um, and not just in your lifetime, right. But the historical things that had to happen all the way down your lineage path, it's very fascinating um, to realize where you are, what you are. Um, so since you've already gone into, like, can you, can you, let's do both. So can you give me like, why, why are cold shower, like why, what, why are cold showers good for you? Why, why is primal cold the most, what was it? The most sophisticated, the, the most, the world's most advanced uh, cold pack for your nutsack. <laughs> yeah, that is the best. So why, why, why is cold okay. good? So, all right. So the, so the part of this also is, is, uh, is the timing. So if you really like, you can, you can ice your balls at any time of the day, but there is some magic to following, uh, what I call the jetpack method, which is doing this at night, uh, before bed, like it's, or when you're in bed reading or messing around on your phone or something like that to do it then. And the reason why is because this is going to cool your body down, not just your crotch, but in general, it's going to cool your body down a little bit and you're going to sleep better. You're going to sleep deeper when your body is cooler and your body produces hormones when you sleep. And so if you're getting better quality sleep and deeper sleep, uh, that's just going to lead to uh, better hormone production in general. Uh, but there, there are other parts of this as well. Another part of this is that ironically, or, or kind of counterintuitively, cold will actually help to increase blood flow. And the way that this happens is so that, so if you, if you put a, a cold pack on your body or if you take a cold shower, that cold constricts all your blood vessels temporarily. And so what's happening is you have a bunch of like fine vessels um, in your testicles. And so by getting them cold, you're squeezing, you're essentially like contracting all of those vessels and squeezing all of the stagnant blood out of this tortuous anatomy, as it's called, these very tight turns and intricate little features um, of the vasculature. And then as it warms up again, everything opens up and you, you've sort of pushed stagnant flow along the pathway. So you're helping to further uh, oxygenate uh, your testicles. So that's another sort of counterintuitive part of why this works and then another you know just to add on for like the third reason why this works is that in general we just do not get enough cold like it used to be that that you know men whatever a hundred thousand years ago in caveman times you'd wear a loincloth that was about it so you're exposed to the elements back then in a way that we are just not today so today you might be cooking your balls because you've got a laptop in your lap. You've got layers of clothes. You've got all this stuff going on. And you're not, if you're never cold, your body just thinks essentially, well, 
this dude doesn't really need our help. Like your balls are like, well, I don't really need to work that hard because you're just laying on the couch watching Netflix. <laughs> and so if you, if you periodically put a cold pack on there, all of a sudden you're sending this powerful signal to your body that like, holy crap, the body's getting really cold. Why is this happening? You must be doing something extreme, probably for survival because you have to. And so therefore we should probably help you uh, in your quest to survive. So we're going to work harder. And uh, it's, you know, I, I've never had anyone return a product and say, this doesn't work. Like the feedback is, is just great. And I feel like it's probably the easiest, laziest thing, best thing I've ever done for my health. <laughs> um, and so, yeah, making it, making it easy for people, I think is important too, right? No one, no one wants to take extra time out of their day. So making it easy. Do, using it at a time when you're just laying around anyways it's it's perfect like that so so the the interesting the one of the really interesting things about the concept right is you have really looked at taking something that is not fun right like so getting in an ice bath right yeah there's a, there's an amount of preparation because somehow you have to acquire the amount of ice necessary to make an ice bath happen then you have to like fill a, a vessel that's large enough for your body to get into it um and then and like once you've done those two things which both of those two things are pretty good barriers right it's like first yeah. i have to find a vessel large enough to do this i have to find enough ice those are easy things that you can say nah i'm not going to do that but if you do those two things then you have to get past the barrier of doing another thing you don't want to do which is immerse yourself immerse yourself into a body of ice cold water which just seems terrible so there's like all of these these things that you just you don't want to do these things but you've taken that concept and you've applied it to like watching Netflix, which is a really interesting, like how, how did you start putting things that you don't want to do together with things like you just described as the laziest, best thing you've ever done for yourself. So how did you think of the concept of uh, putting the laziest thing you can do with the thing you least want to do together, which is a pretty rad combination. It's, you know, the older I get, the the more practical I get. I just see it. Like the only reason you're gonna, you know, get your get your vessel for the ice bath to go get the ice and fill it up with water and do this. The only reason you're gonna do it probably is because you want the uh, you want to take the picture for Instagram. It's the only reason you're gonna do it. It is yeah. so hard to do a to keep a consistent habit like that unless you have you know quite a lot of equipment and it takes up space. Um, and, and even if you do, you know, I'm working with this reseller, he's been doing cryo and cold plunges and stuff like that um, pretty much every day. Mm -hmm. And so he, I sent him a, a jet pack and, and I was like, Hey, I don't know if you're going to feel a difference from this or not. Cause you're already doing all this stuff, yeah. but because it was so concentrated, just focused on one part of the anatomy on your testicles, which are, you know, where your body's producing most of your testosterone. Um, he noticed a difference and I was pretty shocked mm. by that. So, so I, I wanted to make something, I saw like so much resistance in myself and in other people where it's like, I'm not going to, I'm not going to do this ice bath thing, like maybe a cold shower, but that's really not enough. And so 
it works for beginners who just want to see, well, look, does cold therapy do anything for me or not? It's good for beginners, but then it's also good for the people who are already doing full body cold therapy somewhat consistently, but they want to add something else to that stack of cold. Uh, so, so I guess it's just thinking about it practically and really understanding that the good, that like the perfect is the enemy of the good and the good enough is, is all we can really manage most of the time for ourselves. Uh, and it's a big ask to ask anyone to do anything uncomfortable. And so try to make it as, try to get the 80, 20 out of it, right? Do 20% of effort for 80% of the benefit. Yeah. Yeah. Which is that, that is like the, that does seem to be a, a huge portion of what you look to, what you look to do, what you look to create. If, if I can balance this back and ask you a question, um, (laughs) this seems to be the opposite, (laughs) which is that you mentioned that you like, you sleep on the floor on like this thin mat with a very thin blanket. And I'd like to know if you're still doing that, how that's going, what's going to happen in the winter, um, We'll start there. I have another follow-up question after that. But yeah. first, I'm really I'm curious about this. Like, what's going on? <laughs> yeah. So I'm still on the floor. I I prefer the floor. Um, you know, I was I was going on a trip, and um, someone was like saying offering up their house that I could stay at, and they were like, you know, you have you have, you could sleep in this room, and this room, and this room, and then it was like the day before, and I hadn't really like confirmed anything. And they're like, what are you going to do? Do you have a place to stay yet? And I like, I, I didn't. And I just thought, you know, when you sleep on the floor, you don't really think, you don't really worry all that much about where you're going to end up sleeping. Cause there's, there's always a floor available somewhere. <laughs> so, um, yeah, I'm definitely still on the floor. I, I, I really find that as long as I dis, uh, as I stay disciplined enough to sleep on my back, um, it's much better for my body. Like the, the neutrality of my spinal column over the six, four to six to eight hours of, of sleep is just a really, a really nice thing. And, um, so I feel better. I feel more rested. I think there's likely, um, a component of connecting to the like magnetic resonance of, of the earth, like being, being closer to the ground. Um, the construction of my house is very interesting. So I live in a straw bale home, which means the, the walls themselves are, uh, very earthen and natural. Like there are no straight lines in my house. Uh, the walls are all kind of wavy because they are literally just stacked straw bales that are then surrounded by a very, very hard plaster like substance. So there's like a, there's a real earthen quality. The floors are concrete or the floors are wood. So, um, like, I feel like I'm really, I I'm really touching, touching that the earth, uh, an awful lot of the time. Um, very, very natural, very, very natural experience. And it, it just, I wake up with more energy. So, um, 
I think that I, when I get in a bed, like I appreciate the softness, but I know that I'll wake up with more energy if I sleep on the floor. So it makes it super easy for me. It's like, yeah, I'd rather wake up with energy. That's amazing. <laughs> yeah. I don't know if I have that discipline. So, so I, this is awesome. I, I love that. It's a, it's a fascinating thing. Is there anything else that you could share with me and the audience that you do that's like of a similar kind of uh, flavor in your life? Do you have any other lifestyle things like that that you do? Uh, so I think the, the biggest thing that is becoming more and more important to me as I like feel it in my body. So because I'd been in Phoenix for 15 years, I hadn't experienced a winter till last winter, right? Like we think in like you live in Phoenix and you're like, Burr, it is 50 degrees right now, man. I am suffering. I am suffering this experience. Um, but at 7,500 feet um, at the end of the Colorado Plateau, the winters are, are pretty brutal. Uh, so there were, there were months where the temperature never got above 20. And what that meant is I started strapping boots to my feet in the winter because I work out in a shop and the shop is not insulated at all, which means that if it's 20 outside, it's probably 24 in the shop. So you go into this building and um, it, like your extremities hurt. So I was wearing these boots and, and over the course of the winter, putting shoes on, which is not something that I consistently do right? It, it's, it started to have an impact on my feet. Like I started to feel plantar fasciitis in a way that, that mm. people do. So, um, that was, that was an, ex like that really changed my life. So being in the yoga studio and being in Phoenix meant that I was barefoot 80, 90% of the time. And, um, that, that now went to the winter barefoot, essentially 0% of the time. Because even when I came in, I'd strap these huge wool socks to me, right? So I'd have these wool socks, which I started to recognize the importance of socks this winter for the first time, because I bought just cheap wool socks that didn't really have any, any form or shape. And I, but they were huge and thick. And I think the like cushioning of the sock uh, just started to change my gait in my step and started to change the way my feet planted and the way that my musculature develops. And I started to have pain in my feet and in my calves, which just has never been a reality for me. So, so the thing that I, um, the one thing that I've been doing is, uh, I, I am barefoot as much as possible. Um, so if I'm in the shop, if I'm in the house, if I'm walking, there's like a sidewalk in between the shop and the house, I'm barefoot. When I go out into the fields, um, a lot of what is available here is uh, like a clay sand mix. So that actually is pretty soft on your feet, but you also have to be very cognizant of, of what you're stepping on because there's sagebrush, there's cactuses, there's all, there's all types of weird things. So um, I, I have been an angel investor in a shoe company called Zero Shoes. Uh, I think they're in Fort Collins, Colorado. They make some pretty rad minimal shoes. I love, I bought some boots for them this year, which I think are going to be impactful and helpful. But another thing that I just found that I think is relatively new, and I just took them off right next to me. So I'm going to show them. And I don't know what this company is. So I'm not going to, and, and I'm not, a, I don't have any association with these, but they're basically just socks that have uh, 
receive like a rubber sole. So that has been, um, that has been a really fun thing for me to explore. I used to wear Vibrams a lot, which are the toe shoes, okay. which are, uh, they're, they really are wonderful for like getting the tactile feel of walking around. I, I just loved going out in the city and like feeling the concrete under my feet, but man, they look terrible. And, and, and they, did, yeah, they, like, <laughs> they also always made them in like neon green. So it was like, not only did you have terrible looking shoes on your feet, but you also had a neon sign pointing to the fact that you have terrible looking shoes on your feet. And they were like $120. And for me, they'd last like one or two months. Like I would just go through them so quick. Cause I wore them everywhere. And, um, I've been missing that like tactile sensation of feeling every step. And I do think that um, even though the soles are rubberized, so I don't get the like connection to the ground when I'm walking in a city and I'm wearing these new socks with rubber soles on them, the like sensation that you get in your feet is constantly sending signals to your brain. And it just feels good. It just feels good to plant your foot down and like receive a sensation of like, oh, I just, I just touched that rock that I stepped on. So um, I don't know if that's exactly in the world, but that is yeah. something the like connection or sensation that you get from the bottom of your feet um, is really important to me. And something that I, I try to get as much as possible of. I love it. That's perfect. Yeah. That's so interesting. It, it's a weird, it's, and it's yeah. a weird, so, so, you know, I grew up, there's so much misinformation about our feet, right? So, so when Nike started making running shoes, they started teaching people to run on the heel of their foot and they started to elevate the heel of their foot and it started to shorten Achilles and, and all these types of horrible things. There's like, there, there's also, um, flip-flops like wearing flip-flops because of the, the, the lax um, stimulus that it provides for the, for the knee, there's like a significant increase in ACL damage that happens if you wear flip-flops. So if you show up to the NFL combine wearing flip-flops, you will be, you will be downgraded in your draft position just because of your footwear, because NFL teams are looking at the, at the, your footwear and saying, Oh, okay. This person is is significantly more likely to have a catastrophic knee injury because of the shoe that they put on. So like NFL teams are recognizing these things. So there's, there's, there's just like, we we've taught people to run improperly. We've uh, we've, we've designed footwear that doesn't provide stability. Like there, there are lots of things with our feet that, that are very interesting that, um, and if, if you think about the body as a system, right, every single movement we do starts and ends with our feet. So there is like an upstream downstream component of our feet being the base of all of our movement. So they're, they're pretty important things too. Like <laughs> feet matter more than we think. This reminds me of, uh, there's this book, uh, one straw revolution by Masanobu Fukuoka. You, you're yeah. probably familiar with it. Yeah, yeah. Permaculture guy. Like, yeah, it's a beautiful book that is, is both like practical, instructive, but also just like pure Zen when you read it. It's just a, a lovely book to read. And he talks in there about how he 
took over his father's mandarin orange orchard and it was a manicured orchard all the trees had been you know cultivated and maintained and and pruned in, in a particular way and then he said well i'd like to just you know fukuoka he's like well i'm just gonna let this thing go back to nature because that's a better way to do it and immediately all the trees became less productive and essentially strangled themselves because they were used to being pruned and then they went wild and the whole system collapsed and his his uh his learning from that was like anytime humans try to make some improvement on something. Like I remember when Nike came out with the shoes and I was a kid and they had those little like translucent little clear plastic air yeah, pillows and the they air, the air bubble. Like, Man, yeah. <laughs> I want that air bubble. That was so cool. I don't, I never had that. But anyways, anytime you try to make an improvement, there are these unintended consequences. And so it seems like you're really hitting on that on like the most fundamental thing of just being barefoot that's beautiful yeah yeah Bare, barefoot is a it's a whole different way to experience the world um i want to i want to go back into to a cold topic kind of so you mentioned wim hof uh and wim hof is as a pretty interesting a pretty interesting phenomena right because he has combined um pranayama breath work and cold therapy to create a worldwide phenomena have you do you have any experience with the wim hof method mm -hmm. okay uh yeah. what what was your what was your perception well give me give me the whole thing like what when when you when you found the Wim Hof method, like tell me tell me what you thought mm -hmm. of the process. Tell me what you thought of the benefits. Give me give me that rundown. I thought I thought it was amazing. Uh, with the the cold part of it, it is so interesting how your body just recoils from that, but eventually you get you get used to it. Um, I remember many times just being in the the break room if I was in the office and I had like this aluminum pan that you'd like a disposable aluminum pan you'd use to like roast a turkey or something or a, ch a chicken, I suppose, because it wasn't that large. I would go into the break room, fill it up with ice and water and just dunk my face in it. Mm. Hold my breath, dunk my face in that. Do that every once in a while. Uh, try to do it when not so many people were, were around. <laughs> but um, but it, it's it's so interesting how the how like the pain and the discomfort that was one of the things that i really took away from it that will go away if you continue to persist um but then it will come back if you take a break from cold showers and all that you become just as sort of weak or you want to repel away from that pain all over again because you've yeah. you've gotten your body conditioned towards comfort again and with respect to the the breath work and the breath hold. Um, I stopped doing that after a while because my ears would ring a lot when I was finished with it. Um, and I thought that was strange. And I'd heard other people mention that same side effect, but the, the breath hold was something that, I mean, I, I got up to, you know, I could do three minutes easy. Um, and I was really, I was really just half-assing it. Like I was not I was not going and following all the proper techniques. I, I yeah. wouldn't spend that much time, but I could get to the point where I could do three minutes easy. And then if I was um, in a ketogenic state, 
it would step funk. It would just like a step function up. I could go to three and a half minutes and I could never do that when I was not in a ketogenic state. Uh, and so that I thought was fascinating as well. And it, I felt, I don't know. It's like you're unlocking this thing with a breath hold that you feel like is just you. It's not that you feel it. It's that, you know, it's impossible to hold your breath longer than 30 or 45 seconds. But then then you go through these practices and you're just sitting there and you're watching the time and you're, you're watching the clock and, and you're at two minutes and you're like, wow, I feel nothing. I feel no, mm-hmm. I feel no need to breathe at all. Something mm-hmm. must be wrong. Am I going to just die? Yeah. And, and then it, you know, it gets harder, obviously, the further you go. Um, yeah. But, but you can see how what you're unlocking there is you're, you're touching on, on something that, that is lost wisdom, mm. right? And this is something yeah. that you're definitely reconnecting with in a way that I, I think I'm not, as I mentioned, I just half-assed it in a lot of ways. But there are so many things I think that in our ultra-technological society, we, we're not connected with anymore and we have some sort of maybe arrogance to think that we shouldn't even try to go back and recapture any of this learning. And maybe it's just for the weirdos on the fringe. Right. Uh, and that's it. So you're smiling cause you're one of those weirdos. On the fringe. <laughs> I love it. So, so like, so tell me like, what, what have you learned from this? Cause you're far deeper into this than I am. And, and another sort of side question that I wrote down that was just sort of a, a cheesy one, but is interesting would be just Buddhism or Hinduism. <laughs> That's the question. But anyways, yeah, what have what have your experiences been with all this? So I think very I, I I don't I think I disagree. I think that you probably are deep like for me, um it's making making things simpler, right? Like not having to tie shoes is like a simplification of my life right? Like I would rather walk out in um, uncomfortable ground barefoot than take the time to stop and put on shoes. So it's not like, it's, it's me making my life simpler. Um, but if we look at like how our, how our bodies are, how our brains, how our, how our biology is best designed, our, our biology is best designed for pretty simple things, right? Like our biology is is much happier if we are uh, living very simple lives. I mean, you may be able to transcend that with um, lots of different things to fill your cup, to nurture you, to take care of yourself. But I think in general, when you when you look at like broad spectrum happiness scales, people living in hunter-gatherer societies are are far more happy than than us in our civilized quote unquote worlds. Um, I will like, I, I think the, the breath component, the Wim Hof system in general, just like to, to tie that back in. It's an, it's an interesting, uh, it's like two things that are um, really beneficial for, for humans, right? Like conscious breath and, and more or less uh, doing things you don't want to do, but slash immersing yourself in cold. Like those are two kind of separate concepts that you have to do to get into cold. But I find the system itself fascinating because it's really like taking two things that aren't really correlated at all and putting them together so that you can package it as a system. Um, And 
maybe more importantly, like also really important to expressly call out not to do the breath work uh, in water. Like there are just horrific stories of people passing out um, doing the Wim Hof breath work while being in water, because if you aren't found in time, you are going to die. Uh, and that's so you can pass out from from holding your breath, right? Essentially, you've you've changed the way your body is uh, holding on to oxygen. Um, so depending on which half of the breath work you're doing, you're either dramatically increasing the CO2 in your body, or you're dramatically increasing the oxygen in your body. And the impact it has on you is it's fascinating. Getting to the point where you're holding your breath two minutes in. And you're not even thinking about breathing, right? Is a is a level of awareness that I don't think a lot of people ever get to in in a meditation, right? So I do like there's some really interesting stuff there, but I do think it's pretty important uh, how how those those two things when combined together can can be very dangerous. And there are there are like explicit stories of people who are. Um, have put themselves in really dangerous spots and got really lucky to, to survive combining those two things. So just as a, like a heads up, if you're going to do Wim Hof breath work, do it before you get in the ice bath, not once you've gotten in there. There's just do that. Um, what did I miss? There was a, there was a whole second half to that question that I've completely forgotten. Um, Oh, I've forgotten it too. Yeah, that's a good point. I always did the breath work just out on my front porch. <laughs> yeah, that's the place to do it. <laughs> so, and, and it is a weird, it is a weird thing that those two. He sort of combined those two things, and I get it. You do need to maybe breathe deeply if you're trying to push yourself into the cold, and it it's uncomfortable, and you don't want to do it. But anything beyond that is probably dangerous. Um, it was about Buddhism or Hinduism. Oh yeah, and, and essentially, it's like. Yeah. And, and that's the false dichotomy, right? So, <laughs> so I think, I think there is a, um, I think there is a fairly linear or yeah, a, a delineation between the two that, that uh, has a pretty different impact. Um, so Hinduism is really like the idea that there are a pr principal component here, right? Is that anything can be a god. Anything is a god. If you decide it's if you decide it's your god, it's your god, right? That's a very fundamental component of Hinduism. Is um, you could decide, like I could decide, this pencil is going to be the thing that I that I like worship, and I could build a shrine to this pencil, and and that would fit very very perfectly into a a hindu philosophy uh, like you can you can make decisions that specific things or you can take one of the however many hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of thousands of gods that are already created you also have that opportunity buddhism is to me a, this logical it's like a logical expansion it's like a it's like a scientific approach to consciousness where you're going to follow a, a specific set and guidelines and like march yourself forward into this space of, of consciousness. And, and Buddhism, I think for that reason, for that like scientific pathway has become the, the gold standard of consciousness pathways for America. 
it's there is a there so there is an interesting component to to this this uh this end goal of consciousness that i think I've, I'm really, really just starting to get a, a picture of, and it's coming from this project that I'm trying to do, which is um, I realized that like all things, we just don't understand what's going on in someone else's brain. And I, I realized that in a meditation, you know, like this is my meditation. I go behind this curtain. I've explained this. I want to know what's going on in other people's meditations. Like how do, how do, how do I get the idea of what, this this experience of consciousness in is within someone else and what i've what i've learned in talking to people this year specifically about this topic is that most people have um confused meditation with thinking with their eyes closed and what i mean by that is <laughs> <laughs> yeah. and browbeating yourself for thinking yes yes <laughs> sure so so like the the path of buddhism uh, really does kind of start out with thinking with your eyes closed right it's it is you're going to close your eyes and you're going to observe like this very specific pattern of breath or this very specific flow of ideas through you and your goal is to just disassociate with those things What I have, um, so the, the path to consciousness really has come from more Hinduistic ideas that the path that I've followed has come from more Hinduistic ideas. And um, I, the, the way I explain the difference of those two is with the, with the path that I've been taught, it is essentially, here's a doorway. If you, if you do the work to walk through this doorway, when you walk through this doorway, you are going to experience infinity, which is a very hard thing to describe. It's also a very hard thing to lead people to. But it's also something that, and we've talked about this, that you cannot possibly count to, right? There is no incremental step. There is, there is no uh, pathway essentially to infinity. So I'm using a doorway because I don't know how a portal might be a better thing. Like here's a path to a portal. I don't, I don't know what to describe it, but um, the space that the space that I experience when I get into my meditative practice is, is not something that I could have ever logically got myself into. And I've, I've shared the story of how I got there and it essentially just, it came from a Satguru program and I didn't understand it at all. And then it just happened. So there was no logic. I could not logic myself there. He knew I couldn't logic myself there, uh, but I wanted to logic myself there. So I, I really, um, I'm starting to, there, there are people who have taken Buddhist paths who have made it to infinity, right? And I, I don't, I haven't gotten anybody, on, honestly, no matter uh, the the level of consciousness that someone has offered themselves as, no one has given me an answer about what's going on inside their meditation that isn't sitting there thinking. And that has been both remarkably enlightening and remarkably disappointing at the same time. Um, I have had some conversations, some non-recorded conversations with people where, where, there, there was a different level of consciousness that they were experiencing. And, um, 
So I know it's out there. Like I, I, I do, I, I have reinvigorated myself with hope that like what I'm experiencing isn't something that is this, um, this just one-off BS that's happening within me. Like other people have described the exact same thing. But when I've been asking people, like I, I have tried this question in so many ways, but essentially it is, hey, uh, when you sit down to meditate, can you tell me what goes on within your mind? I don't want to know about your breath. I can see that. I don't want to know about your physical posture. I can see that. I don't want to know about anything that I can observe. What are the things that I can't observe? And um, it's not happening a lot. So I'm wondering how much of uh, that challenge that people who are putting in a lot of time and effort in um, meditation, I'm wondering how much of that challenge is coming from the path that they've been offered, the, the Buddhist path which is very scientific and very logical. And eventually you have to leave that path. Like you cannot logic your way to infinity and you cannot count your way to infinity and you cannot incrementally step your way to infinity. So I'm, I'm interested, but also like I've talked about before, the, the misinterpretation of Buddhism is also an interest, like the Buddhism that we've grasped onto uh, is almost certainly not the Buddhism that was taught by, by the Buddha. Well, sure. But I mean, yeah, that's, that's so fascinating. I, it's, I mean, it has to be adapted in some way to this modern American audience, right. As an export. Um, that doesn't surprise me at all that you're talking with people and, and no one's getting anywhere essentially yeah. um, because I don't think I could get anywhere unless my lifestyle was radically different for quite a while. Uh, mm. It's I, I think I'd I'd probably have to be walking barefoot and be at a at a much <laughs> kind of more um, productive, like immediately productive kind of uh, lifestyle. Like you're you're gardening a lot, you're growing a lot of food, you're outside a lot. Um, um, my life is probably closer to a normal consensus reality American life than yours is. Yeah. And uh, probably most people are in that same boat. So what do you do? I mean, it's, I like, you know, Alan Watts, we've mentioned him before. I, I like when he zooms out and he just looks at these different systems as he just looks at like the flavor or the style of them. Like with Christianity, it's this, it's this like avoidance of sin. It's got a heaviness to it. It has a weight to it. It has a seriousness to it. Hinduism seems to have, it's much more chaotic, much more playful, perhaps much more. It, it's not, it's not having anything to do necessarily with, well, are you being a, a good person or a bad person? How are you behaving yourself? Right? Like Christianity is very um, focused on, cultural cohesion in a, in a way which which is a fine thing i'm certainly not ragging on it um but it's interesting to look at that and then and then buddhism i don't i don't even know it's it's colder it seems colder than hinduism in a way if you just look at the flavor of it you just look at the aesthetics i guess mm -hmm. in a way um and maybe that's not a maybe that's not a profound observation but you should probably go to what you're drawn to as well um, yeah and and it seems like you've found, you've found some kind of secret doorway in. So 
<laughs> so that's interesting. I'm gonna have to. <laughs> I'm gonna have to uh, hit you up for that course sometime. But I doubt I could even. You know, the interesting thing is, I doubt I could even uh, dedicate the time right now. I w- it's not even. It's not even a priority. I wouldn't even be able to dedicate the time right now. So yeah. the goal would, for me, would just be: could I get to a point where one day I would be willing to dedicate the time and the energy to do that? Yeah. And so being honest with yourself at where you're at is pretty damn important. I, I, I think that's definitely true. I think that's definitely true. I, I do think like one of the things that would happen when I owned the yoga studio was um, people had a, like owning a yoga studio is an awful lot like owning a business because it's owning a business, right? Like um, the, what happens within the confines of a business isn't um, all that important to the fact that it's a business like that the the shell that encapsulates a yoga studio is essentially the same shell that encapsulates a restaurant or any other biz- like small business right small business is pretty much small business um and you're dealing with clients and you and your your customers whatever however you want to call them you're you're dealing with employees you're dealing with the tax obligations and you're, you're dealing with city ordinances and like all these things are happening, but because, um, because it was a yoga studio, right? Because it was a place where people went to find the tranquility that exists within their life. Oftentimes people would think like my life was sitting on a cloud all day, right? Like I just, I just sat on a cloud and meditated all day when, you know, I ran a business all day. That's what I did. So I think there is like, I do think it's important to know where you are, because if you, if you're not willing, if you don't have the time to dedicate, or you're not going to prioritize the time, then it, nothing really will change. You can't change things without making some type of a priority shift. Like that's just priority has to shift for the for a change to happen. But I think it's less, I think it's less time. Um, needed than people think. I think that, um, you can find, you can find, if you, if you find the priority, you can, you can find, um, the, 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 the changes can happen really quickly within you. Um, and at the same time, your priorities can then shift away and the changes can, can dissolve really quickly too, right? Like it's easy. It's easy to think, it's kind of like uh, if you if you do a psychedelic, right? And the people that are in the a psychedelic space for like maybe in that moment or maybe an hour after, or maybe two days after, they're like, my life has changed forever. And then you see them two weeks later and they're smashing their cell phone down because they got another call from a telemarketer, right? And, and um, it's easy to think once you've seen the window, um, that you're changed forever, but it's harder to change forever. <laughs> the changes forever are harder than the, the changes to find. That makes sense. Absolutely. Yeah, I mean, we've talked about that before, about how would you even really want that? That's put out there as the goal, but um, to attain enlightenment might mean a complete it's like, are you going to really be the crazy holy man who disappears up into the clouds on the, on the mountain? Like you yeah. just, you no longer can relate in some sense to anyone, for sure. Um, to any, anyone that you know. 
and maybe that's that's where like the the story of the buddha comes from where he decides well i'm going to come back and instead of being in this high state all the time of enlightenment i'm going to come back and try to alleviate mundane suffering right uh, in yeah. other people yeah um, and maybe that's the best you can hope for 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 most people um because I don't know, probably even being a holy man is running a business in a way. So for sure, <laughs> which I think is is why most most of those guys get so corrupted, right? Is like how the, could you not? The allure of millions of dollars is uh, it's a it's a pretty powerful draw. Oh yeah, oh it'd be terrible. Oh, I, I'd abuse that in a heartbeat. I, <laughs> I have no illusions about about my own. Uh, goodness in a way it's well or it's like at least that's an interesting thought exercise like maybe the people who are willing to accept that they could probably be a total rascal uh maybe they're the ones who would navigate it mm -hmm. with <laughs> the least like karmic damage but yeah. um uh, the, the, and the most elegance but uh but uh, it is an interesting thought exercise like well okay what how would you be if you actually got what it is you think that you want? <laughs> yes. Right? Like, yes. I would probably be a deplorable person. Um, maybe not, but I could see that going either way. <laughs> yeah. Which, which I mean, when you see like the, the offspring of multimillionaires, the offspring of billionaires, they're generally not rad. Um, right. And they've, they've had everything they've wanted from the jump. Um, yeah. I, I think that there is, there's, a, there's, there's some, there's some interesting, there's some interesting component to what would happen if you really did obtain all the things you wanted in the way, in the way that you wanted them anytime you wanted them. How, how would that shape you as a being? Um, but you still like, uh, so we're not getting all the things we want. Right. But like, I, when I think of, when I, th when I go right back to the things you're creating, right. And I want to get into red light therapy, but I want to get there because one of the things that we do want is to like, like the cold thing, right. I want to be able to receive the benefits of being cold, but I don't want to get in an ice tub. Right. So, so you are really, you're creating little pathways for people to get the things they want without having to suffer. Um, which to me, like, cause I am such a suffer fest person. Like I am just like, yeah, like everyone who I know is always like, why don't you go uh, do these things and like learn from someone else. And for me, it's just like, I can't even, I can't even I just, I, I enjoy the suffering component. <laughs> like I want to fail. I want to like go through the misery of seeing what it's like. Now that's not true with cold for me. Right. So like primal cold for me is uh, like the greatest thing ever, because while I can get in an ice bath, I have the Instagram picture of me in an ice bath. I did that. I was a part of a, of a, a Wim Hof program. Um, but I don't enjoy, like, I do not enjoy cold. Cold is not my friend. And I know that. And having a, having a, a cheap path to get there is remarkable for me. On the, on the red light thing, on the, on the new side of thing, on Optimus, what, why, why does red light matter? 
Well, light matters. Light matters. Red light matters because it is the safest wavelength you can use, essentially. So you could use, so, so I mean, there's, there's all this stuff out there now with, with biohacking and, and all of these, you know, about light therapy. There's these giant red light panels that you can get that cost thousands of dollars. But then you're supposed to stand naked in front of the damn thing. I'm just not going to do it. My kids don't want to see that. My neighbors don't want to see that. My wife probably doesn't want to see that. That's an obnoxious thing. I don't want to see that. I got other things to do with my life. Um, and it, it is good. You know, it's a good benefit for your whole body, obviously. But a lot of guys are interested in this because there's great data around red light on your testicles and how the, the light is increasing the amount of mitochondrial production of ATP. And so you've got more energy essentially, and this boosts testosterone. So this is a fascinating thing. Um, but who's got time for this? It's the same thing. It's like, I'm not going to do an ice bath. I just know myself. I just know I'm just practical with myself. I know I'm just too damn lazy to do that. It's the same thing with a red light panel. I'm not, uh, it's a habit I will not keep up. And so, um, and, and back to the whole evolutionary biology thing with the loincloth, we used to have, you know, sunlight on all of our body, your body has all over it, including testicles. If you happen to have them, or if you know someone with testicles <laughs> that might, that might be interested in this stuff, right? Go check out Optimus red, um, dot com, but, uh, <laughs> there's the plug, but anyways, um, you, we used to get more light. On our bodies and then we do now now you're you know your nuts are just kept in the dark all the time and that's yeah. not how it used to be you used to have campfire at night shining on your nuts you used to have sunlight peeking around the loincloth we don't get that anymore and so and we have this real catastrophe as i said before around hormone production so it's really it's almost it's not even really about like getting a boost it's about trying to get back to baseline like, what is it that humans used to feel like in a way? And we're not, most of us are not there. And so doing what you can to try to optimize that is, is pretty important because modern life has really stacked the deck against your hormones yeah. uh, as a man um, and, and in, in women in a completely different way, uh, for yeah. sure. But uh, that's too complex. And I, I Men are simple. That's an easy one. I can't deal. I don't know how to, <laughs> how to fix anything with, with women. So we'll leave that to the women to figure out. They're going to be better at that um, for sure. So, yeah, so people get hung up on different wavelengths and is it medical grade red light wavelengths and all this. And it's like, look, your eyes are fantastic spectrometers in the visible wavelength. If you're looking at light and it's red colored, well, guess what? It's red especially yeah. if it's coming from just like an LED light source. LEDs have like a very tight spectrum that they emit for specific, uh, you know, color wavelengths. So it just seemed like a real no brainer. And I, and I had to try it. I was stunned by it and started making prototypes and passing those out to other people, um, a couple athletes and just friends and, and, uh, you know, people, people who, who are, uh, who are willing to try my ridiculous prototypes. So, <laughs> and then from there, it just, it just went from there. And then it's trying to figure out how do you make a form factor that it's going to work. And I would, 
wear it to the grocery store. I'd wear it on the commute. I'd wear it in the office just for fun, just to see what happens. No one notices it. You have a pleasing bulge in your pants. That's it. It's hilarious. (laughs) So, uh, so that's really the, yeah, the story there. So I, um, if you're on YouTube, I have my optimist right here. I was just charging it. Um, yeah, right on, right on, right next to me charging. Um, so you you mentioned light type, right? Does does light type matter? So it it does and it does and it doesn't. So you can use anything from UV ultraviolet light to infrared light, and that will have some benefit for your body. Now that being said, you probably don't want to be intentionally exposing your skin to ultraviolet light that much. Um, that tends to be, that is a potential liability. You just don't want to do that. And, you know, everyone's afraid of blue light as well. There's some, there's some truth to that with melatonin suppression and, and, and all of that. So, so the, the wavelength I, there's, it's not that there's something I don't think magical about red light. It's just that it happens to be the safest wavelength you can use. You can use other wavelengths. You can go sit out in the sun and get a nice tan on your groin and that's going to do something for you. But do you want to necessarily be exposing your, your tender bits there to all these different wavelengths uh, consistently every day? I don't know. And so if I'm going to make a product uh, that's going to help, that's going to help guys. I want to make that as safe as possible. Mm -hmm. And so red light is the way to go. And then infrared, um, from what I've seen with the research, it's great for your body, but it's not necessarily great for, uh, for your testicles. And you don't necessarily want to heat them up more than you have to. So you'll get some kind of warming for sure with Optimus. If it's getting too warm, you're probably done at that point with your session. 10 minutes is really all you need and you're good to go. Uh, so can you just go optimist right into primal cold? You can. Yeah. Or the other way around too. Yeah. I, I do that a lot. I will, okay. I will do that a lot. Um, so would yeah, you say before of, is better? Would you go optimist primal or would you go primal optimist? You know, I, I tend to do, I, I tend to think about it where if you're going to expose your, your nuts to light, why don't you do it during the daytime where you'd normally be getting light? there anyways and yeah. then with the cold like i'd said before if you're doing it right before bed you get all these additional benefits with deeper sleep and better hormone production as a consequence so yeah there's you know you read all these things online and people try to convince you that there's like some particular magic about certain wavelengths i just don't yeah. buy that and and pre- plus i i think that the whole expert thing like there are experts out there we know the science all of that i feel like no no way. Like there's a lot that we just don't understand. And so you have to go, you take the most conservative route possible. Yeah. Um, the, the, the light dosing, the energy output of Optimus Red is much lower than all of those really expensive light panels out there. That was an intentional thing. I tried to, the goal here was figure out the dose that is the lowest dose that has a good response. The people are feeling a benefit from and go any higher than that yeah i mean some of these light panels out they they give you they give you goggles with them you have to wear protective eyewear (laughs) because it can be damaging to the to the retinal cells in your eyeballs and so how about how about we don't do that (laughs) how about we don't do that 
if we're going to be making a product specifically for your nuts, right? Like instead, of, like it's so American to just be like, we made a new version. It's five times more powerful or whatever, yeah. right? Like let's go the opposite way. Let's go as conservative as we can on this and still hit uh, some good effectiveness, right? Yeah. Um, and so I, I try to be a contrarian with this, not just for the sake of being a contrarian or a pain in the ass, but it's like, because because it makes sense to think about these things, not necessarily from a marketing point of view yeah. uh, and what sounds good, but from what is just most conservative and, and practical and what's something you can wrap into your habits every day. So you can be low tech and barefoot and then be using Optimus Red at the same time, <laughs> getting, getting, getting all the benefits. So yeah. I, I love it, Patrick. I love it. <laughs> That minimum effective dose thing, right? And we'll wrap up here. But I think that's a I think that's an interesting kind of point to end on because it's so general. Like, like it generalized to health. Like if you are looking at if you if you are looking at anything that is like on this this fringe world, right? Why wouldn't you want to take the the smallest possible amount that will provide that provide the benefit. Like, why wouldn't you want to minimize any any potential for minimize as much potential for risk as possible, even if the risk is minimal? Um, if you can take the minimal amount and um, create an effective dose, why wouldn't that be your target? And you mentioned melatonin earlier, right? Like, melatonin is a thing that I did a lot of experimentation of when I was young because I I had terrible sleep habits. And the general like sold in stores dosage is between three and five milligrams, right? And, and the required dose is somewhere between 0 0.003 and 0 0.03 milligrams. So you're taking somewhere between 10, that like 110,000 times more than, than what is effective. And it, it it's a, it's a, hormonal precursor right like melatonin has some significant creates some significant change in your body so yeah melatonin is one of those things that i always uh have kind of wondered about thought about how how much um it impacted my my mitochondrial function later in life um but yeah, it, it's, it can be like, it can be scary to just do the things that are, that are readily available to you without, without really diving in. And then to assume that those things are, that there's been some type of uh, a review on their, on their safety effectiveness or concern for what it's going to do to you. So minimal effective dose, I feel like is, uh, I mean, it's an idea that I'm sure was around before, but Tim Ferriss did a really good job popularizing it. And um, has been a has been a thing that I, I think I've paid some attention to, but should probably pay more attention to. How how did minimum effective dose or a theory similar become become something that you started paying attention to? Was there any moment for you? Um, you know, I, I just generally had the sense that. I was losing sensitivity to what was going on in my body because of all of the stimulus out there in the world. And you even see the difference. People highlight the difference between like, what's a large, what's a large, you know, 
uh, soft drink in the United States versus Europe. It's this <laughs> giant big gulp thing in America versus yeah. Europe, where it's a far more rationally scaled product. And so, especially in America, I think we are just we're such an we're such like an interesting re- rebellious and adolescent culture in a way that we really tend to think, well, more must be better. Mm-hmm. And, and it just is not the case. Like you even look at things like, like in the, uh, in uh, the Brazilian rainforest, you've got these in Peru, whatever, you've got these tribes, they've been chewing coca leaves their whole life and they can have yeah. a, a perfectly fine relationship with that. You know, the men get together, they have a, you know, every day they, they sit around in the afternoon and they you know, talk with each other, they BS with each other and they chew coca leaves. And then, you know, what did we do in the modern world? Well, let's see if we can take all the extract, all the craziness out of coca leaves and make cocaine. Like this is just like part of the modern way. And so where we refine things and we want to make them more powerful. And part of that really deadens our sensitivity. Uh, We have a deadening of sensitivity to what's going on in our body. We've lost any sensitivity to nuance when it comes to thoughts and ideas and perspectives. And so trying to recapture that, even when you're doing something as ridiculous as icing your nuts or red, red lighting them or whatever, like tr- still trying to keep that in line, I think is really important. Um, partially also, cause men are just, men are kind of stupid. Like we're, we're dumb creatures. Like if you, if you asked any guy, like, would you rather have, your penis or you or your non-dominant hand i think a good portion of men would say well cut that cut that non-dominant hand off and that's that's fair i'm not judging that either way Uh, i might be in that camp but what i'm saying is you would do that you're that protective over that part of your body but at the same time if you get wind of some novel thing you could do to it (laughs) i mean you'll slam it in a drawer you'll do anything (laughs) men are just dumb men are dumb. They will push themselves in silly ways and take risks. They'll take risks that are crazy. And so part of this is me understanding that men will, if especially maybe it's if they have like an emotional wounding too, or they're like, man, I have got to get ahead. I have got to, I've got to do this. I've got to level up there. We tend to, to push to an extreme. And so I'm, I also try to make things that are conservative to counterbalance that male impulse that I have and that many men have of like, well, yeah, if I'm going to do this, I'm going to do it 150% or 3000%. So we, I'm trying to protect us from ourselves and Mm. from our kind of, you know, more adolescent instincts. Yeah. Shoot. That, um, that is so, so self-true. So thank you. Yeah. I have so many more questions for you. We just like, I don't know. We're, we're going to have to do another one of these. Yeah, sometimes. we're definitely going to have so to many do more another, questions for you. Yeah, I felt like it's amazing. It's amazing because we are coming up on, we're close to two hours here. And I feel no. like we, we asked like three questions. I know, man. Uh, yeah. Okay. We're going to have to continue yeah. this later. We will, <laughs> we will definitely do another one of these for sure. Um, yeah. So remember... You can check these out on YouTube. You can send us your questions. And uh, yeah, we'll talk to you again soon. Joel, thank you, man. Patrick, thank you too.
that was that was a, that is amazing that we are a where we are an hour and 40 minutes in because i really feel like oh we, man <laughs> we didn't get anywhere yeah we didn't get anywhere uh, yeah. yeah but it's good we'll just save those questions and we'll we'll do them in the future i've got them i've got them yeah that's cool heck yeah i thanks, like man. it all right man thanks yeah thanks for thanks for donating this much time because this was a, this was a long one you too. That, that was fun. Yeah, that was <laughs> great. Was Had a good time with it. Enjoy your week. We'll talk soon. You too. See you. Thanks, man. See ya.